When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Browns wrap up day 12 of training camp here in Berea Dam Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Our Orange and Brown Talk recap pod. Kind of a slow day here practice-wise, but let's start with the big change uh, that Kevin Stefanski told us on Saturday was going to happen. Mary Kay Jacoby Brissett is working with the first team. Deshaun Watson got a few reps here and there, sort of like Jacoby was before, but this is Jacoby Brissett's show right now. It really is, and it was kind of bizarre, wasn't it, to stand out there and watch the changing of the guard, so to speak. I mean, it, it was a little bit weird to see that uh, Deshaun Watson is really no longer the starting quarterback of this football team for the foreseeable future. We know he's going to be out at least six games, at least we think that's going to be the case unless something happens in the courts to change that uh, and possibly more than that depending on what Peter C. Harvey decides the appeals officer that could come down of course we've been saying any time now but I mean I do expect that it will come down sometime this week so they should have some clarity on that but it's just really odd uh, to see how this thing has flipped and I mean so much has gone on since um you know, since Friday night, I mean, the booing yep. and all of that. So it's it's just, it's been eventful. Yeah, and Ashley, it's just, I mean, it looks different, right? And I think that's the weird thing is, like, you know you know who the best quarterback is. You know who the guy that they brought here is to win the Super Bowl, but he's working as a backup now. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's jarring. Yeah, and it's like, the, I mean, this offense is going to look different, whether you have Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett out there. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, as we know, is like known for his game-managing abilities, and he, he's not going to have the same kind of explosiveness and ball pl- placement that Deshaun Watson has, so you have to adjust for that. Um, and I guess knowing how Kevin Stefanski works, like he always talks about their going to use the information they have available to them, which some of that's obviously coach speak, right? But in this situation, I think, like, it's kind of, like, the only way to handle it because, you know, we talk about hypotheticals all the time. Like, what if it goes to federal court? What if there's a temporary restraining order? What if Deshaun is available week one? But they can't operate right like that at all. So there, it, it makes sense that eventually he said the plan was to turn this over to Jacoby, and this was what they planned for initially. This was the timeline that they initially planned to be on after the six-game suspension for Deshaun, and here they are. So I fully like believe that that's what they're doing. And th- I mean, this is what you would expect, right? Even though Kevin, for whatever reason, didn't want to tell us what the plan was, right. <laughs> even though like, I don't know what they were gaining by that, but you you can see it like yeah obviously this group had a plan of course they they were ready for this scenario and they knew exactly how this was going to go now they don't know how long they're going to be without Deshaun yet but they knew exactly how they wanted to handle this going into a suspension yeah and you know what and and here's the weird part about it even though we have seen a number of people report that there is absolutely no way in heck that Deshaun Watson can get on the field for the opener uh, there is a world in which it can happen it's a long shot but 
uh, in the event that, you know, like as you mentioned, Ashley, in the event that, uh, that his legal team secures that temporary restraining order, they're not going to just say, oh, yeah, we're cool with yeah. the six games. Let's start at seven. I mean, they're going to go for the whole thing. They're going to try to get this thing vacated. They're going to try to get it, uh, you know, completely uh, overturned. So, you know, who, who knows what can happen? Ultimately, we know uh, that the NFL will likely prevail and that Deshaun will have to serve his suspension. But while this winds its way through the courts, and rest assured, if this thing is increased substantially, more so than eight games, the NFLPA will sue. I don't think they'll sue if it's eight. I don't, I, I don't think they'll sue if it's eight. If it goes 10, 12, 14, 17, then I think they're poised to sue. But under double digits, I think they would accept that. And, like, the whole, I guess, possibility, like, you're saying, Mary Kid, like, the possibility is so elaborate. It almost, like, reminds me of, like, in for baseball fans, like, when you talk about standings, how somebody's not mathematically eliminated, it's like this option has not been mathematically eliminated, so to speak, for me. Like, it's it's still technically mm-hmm. a possibility that you can't just write off, like, if you're if you're us talking about it. But, mm-hmm. again, like, when the Browns are preparing for it, it hasn't happened yet. They've gotten to Sean first-team reps, so they kind of have to ride with this for right now. So I want to... I don't want to veer this into what it will eventually be, the Deshaun Watson emergency podcast, but Mary Kay, I was thinking while you were saying that, I, I wonder how much the contract plays into this. So, uh, you know, maybe the NFL, I, I'm kind of with you, I think they would probably sue if we were getting to 12 or 14 games, mm-hmm. but there is this scenario where, like, if it is 12 games, even if it is 14 games, at least you're going to, that contract is going to toll. Right. Would it toll no. it? No. No, because he wouldn't play enough games. No, it only tolls. So, yes. he'd have, what is it, I think it's active six games? You know, the... Or con- not active, but you have to be on the 53-man roster for six games. It's something like that. Yeah, I mean, what I do know is that if he is suspended indefinitely for a minimum of the year, the contract tolls to the next season, and he would not, uh, this season would not count for him as an NFL season. It wouldn't even be an accrued season. It wouldn't count against his, his wow. contract. It would just, the clock would start on Deshaun Watson when he gets back into the league. He would be banished from the NFL under those conditions. So, so that's so basically I, it. Yeah, so I'm wondering if that's sort of the mark, right? Wherever that number could land where he could still accrue that season. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's six games on the 53-man roster. I don't have the CBA in front of me. Um, and he could basically, this year's over, and he gets to the big money years, and he doesn't lose a year where he can be a free agent sooner and get paid again. I, I just wonder if that's the number. So if it's like, I don't know, 11, if he could get those games that he needs to, to keep this contract moving forward, if that's where the cutoff would be. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure um, if they were to negotiate, all of those things obviously will come up between the NFL lawyers and the NFLPA lawyers. But um, Peter C. Harvey's not worrying about that at all. No, no. Peter C. Harvey is just going to try to uh, come up with the best decision that he possibly can. Uh, and it's just going to be really interesting to see if he abides by what the NFL and Roger Goodell are asking him to do, and that is the, the full year uh, plus a fine plus treatment. Will he do it? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, some designees have not done it. I mean, I looked back at the Greg Hardy in, I can't remember what year it was, 2015 or something like that, uh, the Greg Hardy domestic violence, and that went from 10 to 4, and that was with Roger turning it over to his designee. That did not sit well with the NFL at all. So I'm guessing uh, that they kind of had a feeling that Peter C. Harvey will do what they want. Now, it might not be the full year, but I think that they believe 
he'll probably like at least double that suspension and you know do something a lot more than what he has now. And Ashley, like we've talked about this, what they're hoping is he reads everything up until, he reads and agrees with everything up until that last page where Sue Robinson gets into precedent and all this stuff that he looks at it and says, this is enough for me to ignore precedent and kind of change the way we do this. Yeah, and I kind of think it would be fairly easy for him to say, hey, Sue Robinson's reasoning was flawed in this. Like, she credited him with being a first-time offender, and we don't view it that way. I don't view it that way because there are multiple cases. There are four cases here that I'm that they looked at that are in this evidence. So I do think, and you know, it could be reasonable to think like they might take issue with this differentiation between violent sexual assault and nonviolent sexual assault. There are multiple like loopholes, I think, in her reasoning that they could find to extend this punishment that, you know, would in theory hold up under the, under the CBA in a federal court case, you know? So I think it's definitely a possibility to say, look, like the only reason she gave him six was because precedent mattered to her. We're going to set a new precedent because this behavior was egregious and predatory and we don't want it to happen again. So on the field, Mary Kay, Jacoby in this offense, today was mostly, I don't want to say it was a walkthrough, but it was not full speed. Um, you know, it looked like a practice, but nothing was really full speed at all. There was a lot of seven on seven. Not in pads. Um, yeah, no not pads. in pads. When they did go 11s, it was, that's when it was walkthrough speed. Mm-hmm. What does this offense look like with Jacoby? Because when he was out there, at least, it was a lot of shorter, quicker stuff. Maybe that's just what they were working today. We, we don't know. But I, I feel like that's sort of a preview of what this thing looks like. Well, that's kind of been his, his M.O. I mean, he doesn't really necessarily, to this point at least, uh, he hasn't had uh, the long ball as a feature of his game. That's been uh, something that Deshaun Watson would be bringing to the table, uh, but not something necessarily that you're going to see a ton of those flashy big plays from Jacoby Brissett. He's described as a game manager. I think they will run the ball a lot more. I think that's why Kareem Hunt, I think, is very important. That's one of the reasons I don't think they want to trade him. I think they recognize that they really are going to need Kareem Hunt in this offense, not just in the running game, but in the short passing game, the screen game. So I think you'll see a lot of the uh, more of the underneath stuff. Uh, I think you'll see Jacoby Brissett extend plays. He can do that. He's got the mobility. Uh, but I think you'll see, you know, the play action. I just think you'll see the run game, the boots, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you see you saw Baker do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right? what I was, yeah, was going to say, Ashley. I don't remember if I was talking to you or if I was, it was when I was talking to Lance Reisland. I'm like, this offense might just look like it did last yeah, year. Maybe like, not as much 13. Sometimes, but, <laughs> I, but sometimes you do see 13 yeah. personnel out there, right? Like they'll throw Miller Forstall out there sometimes and have th- three tight end looks. But, you know, I think from, I don't want to, Friday's not a good example for just what Deshaun Watson can do, right? Like that start was terrible and it was only nine snaps. But I know like Dan, when we've been out there, like the stuff that has impressed me about Deshaun on the field is like, this RPO stuff and how quickly he just can yeah. read the game and process what he's seeing. And that was my number one complaint, I think, with Baker Mayfield. Like, he just couldn't do that stuff. And that's when, for me, too, it's like, you don't see as much of that with Jacoby Brissett out there because that's part of what makes Deshaun Watson an elite quarterback that the Browns are willing to go through everything that they're currently going through for. Um, so that's a big difference for me. Yeah, I think that's... a that's interesting because when I watch him, it's like they'll run these RPOs or they'll do those rollouts, and I'm shocked like when he decides to throw the ball and yeah. how quickly it's out. And like, there's times I'm not even ready for it. Yeah. It's like, oh, he already threw it. Like it's or like you're he filming, really is, yeah, and you're not, you can't even keep up with the ball. Like, he really is decisive on that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's there's no question about it, and that's why I I was a little bit surprised about Friday night mm-hmm. uh, because I thought that it would look better than that. Yeah. But um, but you know as as we talked extensively to Joel Batonio about today, he was booed when he took that field, and this is the first time he played in 19 months, and he was there was a chorus of boos out there, and there were some chants uh, that included some expletives, and I think that did rattle him. You know, we didn't get a chance to ask him that because we didn't get a chance right. to talk to him. Now, Joel, of course, said he didn't think that it rattled him. But, you know, Joel's not going to speak for Deshaun in that way. Uh, but I think that had to have rattled him because he just looked off. He looked off on his throat. And he doesn't look that way in practice. I mean, my goodness, you guys, you watch him every day. I mean, he just, you know, he just doesn't look that way. So I think it was his first opportunity to get out there and be so disliked on the football field. Yeah, yeah it's different because, like, when you say that, my first thought is, well, I mean, he's never going to face an environment like he did in college, right, where these college stadiums, it's just, like, mm-hmm. uh, it's so harsh when you go on the road in some of these stadiums, but it's different. Mm-hmm. They're booing you because you're an opponent. They're heckling you because you're an yeah. opponent. This is... This is just a different type of a boom. So even though it wasn't a hundred thousand people or whatever, it, it just it's it a little more it, hostile because of what is behind it. I was gonna say it almost made it worse too, maybe that there wasn't a hundred thousand people. Yeah, you maybe. know what I mean? Because it's like you talk to these guys, especially like college players, like who I've covered, and they'll talk about like you might be getting booed, but there's so much happening. Like it's all like indistinguishable right. when you're out there. This was less people. It was like more organized. Like you could hear the booing and the chants on the broadcast. Like it, and that is, I think, part of it, right? Like if there had been more people or like more Browns fans, or it might have been slightly different. But Mary Kay makes a good point because he's only been in friendly environments in terms of like these training camp practices where he's been in front of a crowd. Like nobody here has booed him, and we've kind of talked about why that is. But um, I, I just think like it is interesting, and it'll be interesting to see if this impacts him going forward. If there's like other, you know, similar situations in terms of opposing crowds. Oh, there will be. Yeah, yeah. Just wait till Pittsburgh. Yeah, Baltimore. Oh, yeah. When he goes back to Houston, yeah, it's yeah. even the Bengals, you know, Ohio. Oh Ohio, yeah, Ohio, yeah. Right I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna sound like, you know, in a basketball game when fans boo a player that touches the ball every every single yeah. time. I mean, I was, I was at LeBron's return to Cleveland, and that's the most hostile environment I've ever been in at a sporting event. And I, there's gonna be places I think where it's gonna feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it hit him like a like a ton of bricks to feel that, you know, just that initial for the very first time, to feel so you know, disliked and have the wrath of fans. That you, Like you said, Dan, it's different than getting booed because you're the opponent. He got booed because people feel this way about him mm-hmm. for what they believe that he did. And I think that just had to uh, it really hit him that, wow, this is how this people is real. feel about yeah. me. And he, and he was, I mean, before all this, he was pretty universally beloved. Yes. Yeah. So and yeah, that was part of his reputation. Yeah. I mean, Sue L. so much so that Sue L. Robinson used it in her reasoning, yeah. in her conclusion. And you can see that that being liked like that is important to him. He mm-hmm. wants his teammates to like him. He likes to give gifts. He took them to the Bahamas. I mean, I think he has a strong sense of you know giving and being generous and, and doing sort of like the, the whole fan, the and, fan thing here. And yeah, the fan thing here and being you know and people pleasing and that kind of thing so for him to just feel this backlash uh for the very first time i think it i think it rattled him but i do think it's good that he felt it 
because that in that game because if he didn't, if he had to go out in a really big game on the road when he gets back in Baltimore, right, and hear yeah, that yeah, that's supposed to be his first game, yeah, right, right, as we're right now, and yeah. hear that for the first time and feel that wave of dislike. I, I mean that that could have that could take him right out of a game in a game that has huge playoff implications, and so, you know, it probably for the Browns' sake, from a football standpoint, it probably probably wasn't the worst thing in the world for them to get that out of the way in that preseason game. Okay, let's take a break and let's talk some non-quarterback stuff real quick. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, recapping day 12 of training camp with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, Greg Newsom, injured on Tuesday, last Tuesday, did not play on Friday night. Doesn't seem serious, Mary Kay, but it's another hamstring. We've heard this back in a few days before, or whatever, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly how Kevin said it, but sometimes that ends up being a little longer than expected. Any concern here about Greg? Well... Yeah, I think so because Denzel has been out for so long and now you're going into these very key practices against the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday and Friday. And they're looking at these almost as, you know, two preseason games. And they plan on getting a lot of really good work in. And now, uh, who knows if he'll be able to practice against them. Now, he might not. I mean, he might be able to because Kevin Stefanski said he does, he's not going to be out a long time. But still, if you have a hamstring... I don't know. I mean, you might want to at least give him the week because you can't have this linger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have this linger. Who knows if Denzel's even going to be ready for the opener? I'm sure he prob- you know, that he's probably supposed to be ready for the opener, but we don't even know the nature of his injury. Right, so, and that's been two months already, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's two months. So um, the good thing for, uh, for the Browns is they're, you know, they're pretty deep at the position. You know, they've got Greedy, they've got A.J. Green, they've got Martin Emerson who had the, the big 74-yard pick six, and... Uh, so those guys will get more reps, but I think it's always a concern when a starter like that, especially one that needs to use his speed, pulls a hamstring. Mm-hmm. And Greg's important because he's been the guy in the slot yeah. for, for most of us. We saw uh, A.J. Green get some work in there on Friday. We saw LaVert Hill, but I mean, Newsom is going to get his opportunities there to, to maybe be the starting guy in the slot. Yeah, so it is unfortunate, I think, to use him in those looks. Now, like the Browns say, oh, we... we we're training multiple people there, and you see some weird things. Like, I think JOK played a slot, <laughs> slot snap on Friday, for example, and he played some last year, too. But, like, it that aspect of things, it is just really hard. And, again, like, these soft tissue injuries are so unpredictable in a lot of ways, and it, it just is unfortunate knowing that Denzel's out. Obviously, Greedy's injury history in and of itself is, has some fans concerned. I think anytime you mention Greedy, um, that comes up. But that Martin Emerson, I just think the Martin Emerson pick looks better and better each day. Like, each time we see him do something, and at the time it was all like, oh, why are they, really, another corner with your first pick? You have so many good corners. But this is why. They know how valuable they are, and they got a guy who has the athleticism and the size to kind of do something different out there. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking while we were waiting around during availability. Some teams just kind of know how to draft certain positions. It does feel, Mary Kay, like this team knows how to draft and, and develop defensive backs. Yes, absolutely. Well, remember, their GM was a former mm-hmm. defensive back, right. and their head coach was a former defensive back in, in college. So um, they do know that position, and I do think that that sometimes comes through yeah. when, uh, when you're evaluating talent. They really, really know it inside and out, 
and and they really love those guys. They love their DBs. And um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be one of those teams, you know, like the Ravens where you just kind of keep getting good ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that this era of the Browns will be like that. So uh, let's talk center real quick. Um, There's a roster move that has to be made eventually once they get this second opinion on Nick Harris and they put him on IR. It seems inevitable at this point. Um, J.C. Treader. There's really only one guy, Mary Kay, that seems to be advocating for J.C. Treader, and that's his BFF, Joel Batonio. Oh, yeah, those two guys are so tight. And uh, so, yeah, he talked about him today, and I asked him, you know, do you think the fact that he took such a hard-line stance in the, uh, and, you know, as the NFLPA president against the off-season programs and different things like that, and, uh, and Joel basically said yes. He, you know, he said... I, you know, I am a little suspicious. He's a top five, top ten center, and he doesn't have a job right now. And, I mean, that's hard to argue with, uh, but I think it factored in here uh, with the Cleveland Browns a little bit. Now, there was an eight point, there were 8.2 million other reasons yeah. <laughs> uh, to part ways with J.C. Treader, and Nick Harris was ready to go. But, um, but I do think the fact that he was so adamant about these guys skipping the offseason program, I mean, Kevin Stefanski has never come out and said, of course, that that had anything to do with it. But how many times do we hear him express gratitude for the <laughs> off-season program this year, yep. right? He's so big on that, as he should be. I mean, that's where so much installation happens. It's where a lot of chemistry happens. It's where guys really get acclimated to each other, and there were a lot of new guys on this team. So, um, so I think that had something to do with it. It's got to be hard having the union president in your building, mm-hmm. especially someone yeah. who's as outspoken as J.C., and, you know, obviously they, they had to deal with all the COVID protocols the last couple of years, and, and just you have to feel like you're walking on eggshells a little bit, I'm sure, mm-hmm. when that guy's in the building. Yeah, I don't know. It, I wonder if it would even be weird just obviously the NFLPA has to defend Deshaun Watson, and, and that if the, but I do wonder if there would be some sort of weird dynamic there. Maybe not because they're on the same side, but... I don't know. It's just complicated to have him in the building. That being said, Ashley, I still think he might be the best option to have in that position. I mean, look, this stuff happens. You have guys that maybe it's a little awkward or maybe it's a little weird or maybe there's something you don't like about him, whatever it is. You just deal with it. If it helps you win games, you do it. Yeah, and you look at that, you know, the Spotrack or whatever. I've always never know if I'm pronouncing Spotrack right. But (laughs) go and look at the available free agents. It's pretty bleak out there in terms of guys who could come in and I think be ready immediately. And it's not too often you get a guy who is out there, who knows your system, who knows the guys he's playing alongside of, um, who's just familiar with everything and is good at it still. Um, Even though he's been around a while, he graded out pretty highly last year. I don't have all the numbers in front of me. He was in the top of the league at that center position for all those PFF grades. Um, So I, I still will stick with what I said on Friday after the game, like, or whenever we did that last pod, that uh, I think they should have been considering by, like, the second quarter when they knew how bad this was for Nick Harris if they (laughs) want to give J.C. Treader a call because he is still out there, and how long is he going to be out there? Number two. Number two center, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. I knew it was top five. Yeah, number two. I just just think, I mean, if you're trying to win games, and I think you are trying to win games, you have to at least consider it. You have to at least make the call. Especially, and you know, you know when you might consider it is, what if you find out that the, the six games gets upheld? Mm-hmm. 
and that you're going to have Deshaun Watson for the final 11, uh, that's when you might pick up the phone and say, you know what, let's get uh, what many consider to be a Pro Bowl caliber center in here uh, to help with our $230 million man. And then he could walk in the door and say, see, the system works. Yeah, exactly. The system we negotiated works. He can right? take some victory laps on his way through. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, recapping day 12 of Brown's training camp. we got joint practices coming up this week, like Mary Kay said. It sure feels like we're getting to a point where this Deshaun Watson decision is going to happen soon, uh, potentially this week. So just make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts, and make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.